This is the Insulone podcast, where I, Owen Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... I'm then thinking, like, what's that going to do in an hour? And what's that going to do in three hours' time? Of and, course, of course. You know, what am I doing later? And so I feel like there's, it's quite a con- contradictory condition. I think that across the board in lots of aspects of type 1 diabetes. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon and welcome back to another episode of the Insulone podcast. Thank you for joining me for another one. I appreciate you coming back. The reason that you come back, I hope, is that you're getting a lot of good information, good content and good value, most importantly, from this podcast. So I hope you're all well. I hope you're having a good day. Hope you're having a good week. And I just want to let you know before we start this episode, for today's guest and going forward, depending on the length of the chats that I have with our guests, we're going to split it into two parts. So this will make the slightly longer episodes easier to digest. And then that gives you an opportunity to take more of that info in. Because sometimes I feel there can be a lot going on and a lot of amazing information with the longer episodes. So by splitting it, easier to digest, more of an opportunity to take more on board. And let's be honest, the only thing that can possibly be better then one episode of the Insulone Podcast a week is two. So if you are listening to this episode on the day of the release, which is the 18th of August, 2021, part two will be out tomorrow. But if you are listening at any other time and you want to continue to listen to part two, the next episode in our library will be episode two. So there's no need to change anything and it will run automatically. So now that we've covered that, my next guest today is Jen Greaves, who is from the UK and living in London. Jen was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of eight, just before her ninth birthday. Admittedly, she didn't always have the easiest time with her diabetes, as she'll get into in more detail, but it seems as though she did a full 180 into the type of diabetic that Jen is today. She's a broadcast journalist turned digital TV and radio producer. She has her own YouTube channel where she offers advice for all things diabetes. She is a diabetes blogger and she's also the host of her own diabetes podcast, the Type One on One podcast. So if you haven't checked out any of her stuff, listen to her now and you'll be drawn to her straight away. Enjoy the episode. I think it makes you. It humbles you and I think I just count my own blessings more. Do you know what I mean? And dealing with something like diabetes as well, type 1 diabetes, day to day, there's so much going on in your brain that when you do get these challenges and things, you're like, I think, A, you've built up a bit of resilience, but equally when things are calm, I just appreciate that that stillness and that contentedness. Naturally, my personality would be to see the positive in things as well. So I am like thankful that that, that is the way I'm mm. built as well. Yeah, but certainly type 1 diabetes probably contributes to that. But yeah, it's, it's life lessons. I think, is it Malcolm Gladwell that says life is a process of humbling? And I 
completely agree with that. Yeah. Unreal. Mm. Malcolm Gladwell is one of my favorite authors. Ah, I've read a good go. few of his books. Yeah. And the fact that you mentioned the word stillness there reminded me of another book and another author. Did you ever hear of Ryan Holiday? Yes, absolutely. I actually <laughs> I got your email with the link to record this morning and the one before that was a Ryan Holiday email. So I'll check oh, no way. Later. The Daily Stoic. <laughs> yes, Stillness exactly. is the key. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah. So because you are almost kind of like a naturally positive person, I'm curious to know how did you manage things this past year and a half? And I know that obviously me and you know, Jen, firsthand, if you are diabetic, you have to adjust not just your life, but also your management around certain situations. So how did you find the past year and a half? Yeah, interesting question, particularly in relation to living with type 1 diabetes pre-pandemic. I do think we are naturally very adaptable and we have a built up resilience because of what we deal with day to day and how, you know, ever shifting and ever changing life with type 1 diabetes is just day to day. Um, I set like my whole world changed in the sense of pre pre pandemic, I was traveling away a lot for work. So I'd go on these contracts um, for TV shows that I was working on. And you'd be away for sort of two, three months at a time in these very um, intense kind of all consuming um, environments, which were so much fun. And you build like a little family with that, you know, your little you're working together, you're living together, you're dining together. And it, it's intense work, but it's so rewarding. It's so fulfilling for that reason. And then like everything stopped, you know, I had jobs lined up abroad and they just went away. And with that, my little family, quote unquote family, we all kind of had to separate as well as many people did. And so I was just sat in quite a lot of stillness for the first time. But equally, I was used to working for myself, I was used to managing my own time outside of those big contracts, you know, with other stuff going on. And I just felt like all I had to do was just stay at home, you know, and, and that is hard. And I completely appreciate that's really hard. And I was alone then um, because my housemate at the time went home to shield. Um, so I, I really, really missed being around people and just that interaction and, and that physical energy you get from being around people and the warmth and things like that I really struggled with that because that's the kind of person I am but other than that I think you're similar in that you always have a few bits going on so I had things creative things to keep me occupied and I didn't feel like in the relativity of what certain people were going through that I had too much to worry about so I, I was just counting my blessings in that way like the stuff we saw when it all first happened and you know I've got friends in the NHS um, and the sort of things they were dealing with on a day-to-day I just you know I, I felt okay but my diabetes on one hand I think the stillness and, and very like stripping away of all the noise and the chaos that <laughs> tends to be around my life was positive for my type 1 um, because it was all a lot simpler you know and then, but on on the other hand, like I do feel like my diabetes and me work very well together when I'm happy and fulfilled and doing things and seeing people to a point, there's definitely a limit. Um, so yeah, that was an interesting one to kind of experience, but 
yeah, it's been okay. I'm very happy that we are able to interact again now. Um, but yeah, it's it's been tough for everyone. I don't think there's particularly a hierarchy of you've had it this tough because of X. Like I think everyone's had their own struggles. It's it's not normal or natural, is it, to live in the way that we've lived for the past eighteen months? Yeah, of course. And and you hit the nail on the head there in terms of everybody has their own way of dealing with it and therefore everybody has their own struggles with it. Yeah. And what jumped out at me there is when you explained how you are somebody who loves people's warmth, the contact, the social interaction. And I'm similar in that way. I obviously love spending time with people and talking to people. That's what we were saying just earlier. And I feel that that puts me in a better mood when I'm doing things and I'm with people when I'm around other people are you somebody who would see a positive impact on your diabetes management based on the mood that you're in absolutely yeah and that was the key for me when I first got diagnosed in 1996 it was very much here's the insulin you need to take this insulin when you eat the food the end there wasn't carb counting in fact they told me to eat 70 percent carbohydrate diet um so it's very different back then <laughs> than it is now yeah it sounds sounds kind of strange to say and you didn't take insulin to match the food you ate you ate to match the insulin dose that you were prescribed so it was mm -hmm. very different um and so i was fine for a while you know i was eight nine years old and exemplary kind of quote unquote if it can be such a thing i don't think it can be but you know i was active and and doing lots of after school things and clubs and and had you know sleepovers and all that stuff I, I you know I carried on doing all that but there was never any acknowledgement that or even awareness that there was anything more to it in terms of the emotional side of things so I didn't realize this for a long long time over 10 years and in that time I kind of fell through the cracks in the system from moving about a bit and you know, my self-worth took a hit, just lots of stuff, the general stuff going to university and figuring all that out. And it, I was about 22 and I got a diagnosis of background retinopathy and I was terrified. I really felt like I was about to go blind and it just came from nowhere. But equally, at the same time, I knew for the past three or four years that I hadn't been giving my type 1 diabetes the attention it needed and so I was racked with guilt as well that I'd done this to myself and I was just embarking on a new career and I felt like all of that was kind of suddenly under threat you know and that's when I was like hang on there's got to be more to this and and that's when I started really digging into life with type 1 diabetes and what it meant and this this I just found this light bulb I understood all of a sudden for the first time and had to figure it out for myself that every part of my life is affected by my type 1 diabetes and type 1 diabetes affects every part of my life. It's not just food and insulin and blood glucose levels. Like there is, you know, even more so perhaps my mood is a huge part of my ability to manage my type 1 diabetes, my perspective on what it means to live with type 1 diabetes and yeah, my general day-to-day -day, um, personality, I guess because of the way that type one impacts every part of my life. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot in there. Yeah, sorry, I, I really a, a lot in there <laughs> <laughs> that I definitely, definitely want to unpack with yeah. you. And what stands out to me and what I completely agree with is the fact that 
we're initially kind of we we think of our diabetes as as you say carb counting and taking your insulin food and insulin food and insulin but it's so much more than that and it and what you said perfectly is diabetes impacts every aspect of my life and every aspect of my life impacts my diabetes so do you feel as if you were kind of almost subconsciously on like a a self-discovery sort of journey leading up to being diagnosed with background retinopathy at 22 when you realized this is so much more than insulin and food? I think up until that point, I'd just been kind of almost consumed by other things that I think I was really struggling with uh, my place in the world and, and self-worth and that kind of took over and I think diabetes was linked to that but at the same time I was kind of all consumed by that that I didn't really have the headspace to even pay attention to my type 1 diabetes too much I wasn't consciously not paying attention to it it's just that it wasn't kind of something that I felt it wasn't something that was my primary focus at all, far from it. So when I got that diagnosis of background retinopathy, that was kind of more, it was a very big kind of wake up call that this needed more from me and that I owed it to myself to do more and to give more. So, and then I went on a bit of self-discovery, a very <laughs> a very acute, intense kind of diabetes self-discovery. And I, um, you know, started digging into textbooks and trying to find material around how can I live and do all the things a 22-year-old wants to do, but also take care of myself properly. Um, So that's where the discovery kind of started. And I don't think it's stopped since, to be honest. Like, it's where I started writing about type 1 diabetes for the first time. I started my blog, and that's led on to, you know, YouTube and Instagram and and the podcast that I have and sitting here talking to you today, basically. So it never stops. The learning never stops. I'm discovering new things about my body and type 1 diabetes and technology and everything else, you know, exercise, health, mind, psychology all the time. And it all it all feeds into how I live my life with type 1 diabetes. Yeah, you strike me as somebody who is so confident of their own management and is constantly learning and educating herself about what it is to be diabetic physically and mentally. And I have a quote from you here that says, I spent a lot of my university years feeling pretty awful, mentally as well as physically. I didn't rebel against my diabetes, but I didn't make the space for it that I now know it needs and deserves. Mm. So it's almost as if you've kind of done a 180 turn. So even hearing that quote again what do you feel you weren't doing that you think you should have been doing prior to getting the news of retinopathy Mm. it's interesting because you say there you know i strike you as someone who's confident in their management i think i'm just confident now that i'm trying i don't think i'm confident in that i'm not getting it right all the time and there is no such thing as being perfect with type 1 diabetes Mm. But I'm confident to give it room in my life because I know that comes back to me and allows me to do more things and to live my life and to be brighter and shinier and happier and healthier. And I think you say, you know, confidence in 
being diabetic. But I think it's, it's just knowing yourself more about what it is to be human. I don't think I'm necessarily learning a lot consciously about what it means to be diabetic all the time. I think I'm learning more as I go through life about what it means to be a human who has diabetes and has to bring that along for the ride. Does that make sense? So Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, when at uni, that bit, like as I mentioned, I, I just didn't feel like I was really lacking in self-worth. Um, and I sort of, I was on the wrong contraceptive pill, which again is not something that's talked about, but that really affected my a my type 1 diabetes and also my mental health I believe and just that swathe of like what am I doing with my life and what am I doing here and the uni I went to was quite a sports focused uni so it was a very physical focused uni and I just kind of felt like I didn't match up and now I know there's so much more to life and these things aren't important but you know when you're fed messages from a young age of what you should look like and how your body should look and I was someone who absolutely absorbed all those messages and completely you know got swept up in all of that you know magazines and I think it's better now with social media because we see such a wider representation of what it means to be human exactly as I said so I think it comes with experience and once I did start to give my type 1 diabetes more attention and make room for it and figure more things out in terms of what worked for me what didn't and approaching things like exercise and and just purpose you know I started a career um, in journalism so I'd I'd got a job as a a reporter and a newsreader on a radio station and it was just so much fun and I was learning so much and like as I experienced more in life my diabetes just kind of settled into that rhythm as well and with that I felt like I had more to give to my type 1 diabetes so it's all like self-fulfilling almost you know yeah, it's almost like you kind of grew up with your diabetes and how you were changing physically and mentally. You're like we were just talking about earlier, your diabetes had to fit into that somehow. Yeah. And like we were we were speaking briefly about it on your podcast last week about how it it's kind of like a constant debate of is it better to be diagnosed younger or older? Mm. And I come it from I come from it or come at it from a standpoint of I preferred to be diagnosed older because I was kind of in that routine already. I was 19. I was into the gym. I kind of knew what I was doing to, <laughs> to a certain extent. And I didn't have to go through what I think are more difficult years of being a child into a teenager. I kind of skipped that. And when I, see somebody somebody who was diagnosed much earlier I feel that had to be more difficult than what I've had to deal with yeah it's interesting isn't it we did we chatted a bit about this last week because I feel that I can't really remember a life without type 1 diabetes in the mix and as I said there's been times where I've allowed more room for it and there's others where you know I just felt like I haven't had the headspace so I've not even consciously you know pushed it away I've just drifted from it almost and that still continues you know if I've got other stresses going in life as everyone has there will be times where I will just do the bare minimum but I guess my base level of what the bare minimum is and my base level of stable blood sugars now I have a lot more understanding of of what that looks like and what that entails but yeah as a child I just 
one, I had two parents who took a lot of that worry, I guess, for me. They were just as in the dark as I was when I got diagnosed. They didn't know what it meant to live with type 1 diabetes. None of us knew what a blood sugar reading should be or how to inject or anything like that. But I do credit them hugely at that time, which must have been so terrifying for them. You know, I was wasting away. I had the typical symptoms. I was very thin and very tired. And, you know, I'm not someone that wouldn't be doing all my sports activities and all my going to friends' birthday parties and things. And and I, my teacher, just before or either just before or just after I got diagnosed, it was lunch break. And she found me, she had this bean bag in her sort of supply room in the classroom. She had this big bean bag. And I one day just went in on my own and just laid down on this bean bag because I was so tired. And she came in and found me. <laughs> and she must have thought, oh my goodness, like, what is going on here? Because it, it really wasn't like me at all to just be <laughs> having a lie down on this beanbag in the middle of lunch break when I'm eight years old. So my parents must have been so scared. And bless them, you know, once I started on my insulin regime and everything, life just sort of resumed and I carried on going to football practice and dance practice and I carried on going to the birthday parties and, and they never sort of suggested that it's something I shouldn't be doing. Obviously, we had to take a lot more precaution and there was a lot more planning involved. But I think I've carried that through my life because they took some of that burden for me. And in my mind, I was told, you need to do this and you've got this diabetes specialist team and they'll be visiting your house for a while and things will change a bit at school around meal times and stuff. And but, you know, off you go. And I was like, okay, like, you know, I was, I was, I was all right. I was okay. This is what I need to do now. And there was a part of me that really enjoyed all the attention at the same time. <laughs> 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 I think then going from that and not really knowing anything different, um, it's just something I've always carried with me and, and had to make room for and had to account for in my life. So it is interesting, but I see what you're saying. Like my life, you're saying my life was kind of set up to a point, my adult life, and I could just fit, not just at all, but I could fit diabetes into it. Um, yeah, I see I see it from both sides, I do, but I guess you only know what you've experienced. Of course, <laughs> yeah. And, well, I suppose what I mean by it is, I, I'm kind of saying as if I almost got off the hook slightly right. because I got it later, because I was old enough to essentially look after it myself mm. and my parents didn't have to go through that of course they were scared and 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 worried as parents would be but i feel as if they didn't have to be as scared or as worried because i wasn't a child yeah and what what jumped out at me there when you said about how things change for you and you could do everything that you had always done it was just like ah i'll just get on with it do you feel as if you're almost like instinctively someone who will react in a positive way? I think so. I think you've just got to get on with it. Like, don't get me wrong. I will I will have a moment. I will have a little moan <laughs> or I will vent at someone about it. Well, not just at a random, you know, I'll chat to friends about it, <laughs> whatever it is. But then you just have to get on with it. And as we were saying earlier, like I can still see within that, even when it's rubbish, like I've had real heartbreak this year and things, you know, um, friends in 
really bad situations and stuff. Um, as awful as that is, I can still sit here and say, okay, but I've got my health. And yes, I've got a chronic illness, but I've, I've got the choice to walk out the door and, and I've got the choice to go and say yes to that thing if I want. And I, I, I just have a lot of gratitude for that. And there are some days where I really don't want to do my diabetes and, and it has tested me a lot in the last 18 months, particularly in the last six months, I would say. But yeah, I think naturally I probably am fairly positive while being quite realistic about what that looks like. You know, I'm not skipping through life thinking it's all sunshine and rainbows. I'm not at all. But yeah, I can take the good in a situation for sure. You said something to me just before we recorded and we were kind of briefly talking about this kind of stuff. And I know you're facing a window and you're looking at, you're looking out the window as we speak. And you said that what I see out the window is determined by me. I'm either seeing it in a positive light or a negative light. So do you feel that, I know the last question I asked you was, are you almost instinctively positive? But do you feel that somebody can learn to have that sort of mindset? Can can somebody who is maybe typically quite negative or uh, yeah okay for lack of a better word negative can they learn to have that sort of mindset can somebody look out the window and say oh this is a terrible day i feel awful and everything's gray and it, it's raining and it, this is dark and this is, a, this is just a bad day can somebody in that moment learn to realize that to a certain extent i can decide to view that differently Interesting question. I'm not particularly sure I'm qualified to answer. (laughs) (laughs) But um, for me, I think it's about having that awareness that, yes, this is X, Y, Z is not great right now. But I can either appreciate that I'm just going to let myself feel a bit rubbish today and tomorrow is new or I'm going to have a moan for the next half hour and then I'm going to roll up my sleeves. Um, But I also think that maybe society sort of pushes that when you reach this, you will be happy or when you are this successful, you will be happy or when you find this, you will be happy. And as I've gone through life, I've kind of made peace with what I call kind of the messy middle, like life is never wholly good and wholly positive, but it's very rare. And I'm saying this from my personal experience and my privilege. And I have, you know, a wealth of lovely things around me and and I'm sitting in a warm room and, you know, that as standard. I don't think life for someone like me is ever wholly bad either. So I I think I've just got more comfortable with sitting in the middle where I can appreciate that this that's going on right now isn't ideal, but there's also this that is really great and makes me really happy or this person in my life who's being so wonderful right now. And type 1 diabetes is a bit like that because when you have a quote-unquote good blood sugar day or a a day that doesn't demand too much of your headspace when it comes to correcting and, and testing and dosing and things like that, like I completely appreciate that day but I equally 
appreciate that it's not going to be permanent. Like there will be a day in the not too distant future where my diabetes is a lot more challenging. And so I can sit with the good days, quote unquote. I know like I feel a bit weird about saying good and bad days, but in terms of the challenge on on my day, I can appreciate the good days and the bad days. And I view them kind of one and the same. I don't place more weight or attach more feeling to one or the other because they both will coexist and they always will. And that's, that's kind of how I feel about life as well. So I don't know if you can teach it, but again, it goes back to what I was saying. I think it's just as for me, it's been as I've experienced more, I've seen more, I've witnessed more, I've watched people go through more in life. I can then appreciate what I've got at a greater level. And it's the simple things for me as well, because diabetes does take up so much of my brain on a day to day basis. Like I can just, I am very in childlike enthusiasm around simple, simple things. <laughs> I don't know if that makes me basic, but I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. And it was a great answer. And I think how you re- related it back to diabetes is perfect because even from my own perspective, after being diagnosed, I kind of quickly realized that, wow, our health is so fragile. Mm. And then if our health is fragile, so many other things around us can be fragile too. And I suddenly began to kind of appreciate smaller things a lot more. And diabetes has a a special way of kind of (laughs) grounding you in the present moment because you always have to you're like you're you're always aware of your blood sugar. You're always thinking, how is this decision affecting my bloods? How is this food affecting my bloods? How is this stress affecting my blood sugar? So that for me constantly keeps me in the present moment. And when I'm in the present moment, I feel as if I can notice the really nice small things, no matter how small they may be, of that present moment. Mm. So do you think that the sort of perspective that you have, you, in a sense, develop that similar to how diabetes can kind of keep us present. Yeah, two things. It's funny you should say that because I think, yes, you're right. We have to be in the present moment. We're like, what is my blood sugar doing right now? And that is a constant. But equally with type 1 diabetes, and I think maybe just life in general, I feel like I'm always trying to be three moves ahead and predict the like I'm here right now but I'm then thinking like what's that going to do in an hour and what's that going to do in three hours time of course of course you know what am I doing later so I feel like there's it's quite a contradictory condition I think that across the board with lots of aspects of type 1 diabetes but you're so right you, you have to think about what's happening now but at the same time I feel like my mind is always whirring quite subconsciously but I feel like that does have an an impact you know on how tired we get and things like that on the thing that's that's three three hours time like you're always anticipating what's gonna what's gonna occur and i think i i think i go through life like that in general you know i've got this thing now but what have i got in a few days time in terms of just organizing my life and i wonder how much type 1 diabetes has fed into me being like that because i do think i'm more extreme in that way than than maybe some of my friends so that's an interesting point And the other thing um, you made me think there, talking about this, you know, making room for type 1 diabetes and and this perspective I've now got of, you know, it being shades of grey and not being all good and all bad. I wonder if that's come from, you know, like we were saying, 
going on that self-discovery and having that retinopathy. Whereas before that point, I was very much, you know, oh, it's just type 1 diabetes. It's fine. It's just something I've got. It's, it's, don't worry about it. You know, it's, it's just this thing. It's, it's all fine. I can do everything I want, but maybe I didn't acknowledge or didn't know that it, it was bigger than that, you know? So I wonder if that perspective has only come from that point in my life where I started to give it more space and, and give it more attention because before I, I wasn't aware that, that it needed more from me. And in turn, that has changed my perspective, if that makes sense. That was part one of my chat with Jen. As I said, if you are listening on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. Otherwise, it's going to be the next episode on our list. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Go enjoy part two. There's a lot more info to take in from Jen.